morning. It's a lot warmer in here. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can remember standing out of freezing cold hands back out there. Yeah, so it's good here and yeah, so um, my name is Naomi Kay. I think I know uh, most of you anyway. Um, so before we get stuck into our message, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this beautiful day, for the sunshine, uh, and we just thank you that we can praise you and worship you, and we really take those words to heart. Um, just thank you for all that you have done for us, and I just invite the Holy Spirit to be with us and uh, speak into everyone's hearts here this morning, Lord, as uh, we hear the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're continuing our series in the book of Judges. And uh, there's a lot that we can say about a, a book <laughs> like Judges. It's not a particularly easy read. Uh, it can be quite confronting at times. It's a really difficult time in Israel's history, quite a dark time. The people seem to really have a zero focus on God and their mentality was, as the Bible says, Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Unfortunately, I think we see a little bit of that today. Where's our standard? Where's our truth? Well, we know where that is. That's the Bible. That's our standard. That's our truth. But God's chosen people had forgotten him. They'd abandoned him. But he'd not forgotten them. He'd not abandoned them. We do read about the consequences of their disobedience, and it can be hard to read about. But there are lots of lessons in an Old Testament book like Judges for us today. So Matt did kick off the series last week and um, yeah, unfortunately he can't be here today but I think he's feeling a lot better. He introduced us to what the book is all about and he told us about Deborah. Today I'm talking about Gideon. His story starts in chapter 6. So when we get to this point in the book of Judges, we see this cycle of uh, rebellion and consequences and this crying out to God. Matt put up a little slide of it last week. The people just seem to not be learning their lesson. God helps them. They cry out to him, he helps them, but then they just seem to go backwards again. And then there's consequences to their disobedience. So when we get to Gideon in chapter 6, God was ready to step in again to help his people. So what I'm going to do today is just give you a brief overview of his story and then I've just got one part of it that I want to focus on that I believe we can apply to our lives today. So when we get to chapter 6 we read that the Israelites were under constant threat of attack from the Midianites, this group of people called the Midianites. They would come in, they would just take and plunder everything, the crops that they'd grown, their animals. So the Israelites were living in fear. It was a difficult time for them. Now, when we're introduced to Gideon, he is threshing wheat, but he's doing it in a wine press. So back then they'd have these wine presses. It was sort of like a dugout in the ground. So he's kind of like this farmer in hiding. He's hiding from the Midianites trying to do his job. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel appears to him and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, 
you just sort of think, okay, well, that doesn't meet the description of this guy that we've just read about. He's hiding in a wine press, he's a farmer, and he's being called this mighty warrior. So what Gideon does in response to the angel is he starts to question him. Well, if God is with us, where has he been? The Midianites are attacking us. He's given us up to them. And the Lord says, I've chosen you, Gideon, to rescue the people from Midian. So Gideon, he, he wasn't convinced. He needed some convincing. And so uh, the Lord ended up giving him a sign. And then Gideon believed. Now, later that night, the Lord's not wasting any time in getting Gideon to work. So the first thing that he tells him to do is that he must go and tear down the altar to Baal. So Baal's a false god. His dad had set up a place of worship to him. And uh, Gideon was also to cut down what's called the Asherah pole, which was set up beside it. And that was just dedicated to a goddess. It seemed that the whole town was worshipping these false idols there. So once Gideon had torn them down, he was then to build an altar to God and put a sacrifice on it. So basically what God is doing is re-establishing proper worship of the true God. So Gideon is obedient to this, but he's a bit afraid, so he does it at night time. Now his fear is understandable because doing this is risking his life. So the next morning everyone gets up and they see the demolished altars, they see that there's a new one to God and they demanded to know who did this. They wanted to kill him. So it was his dad that had set that up and he kind of steps in and he defends him, he talks to the people, he talks them down a bit and he sort of says to them, this is the bottom line. If Baal's a true God, then he can defend himself. And the people are like, okay, they were satisfied. So Gideon's still all right here. So as you read through Judges, you see that Gideon, he's growing in faith, he's growing in trust, but he still had a way to go. The angel had told him, you're going to save the people out of Midian's hand. You are a mighty warrior. Well, his opportunity to prove these prophetic words true was coming. You see, the Midianites were on the move. They were heading his way. So after the act of faith that he did with God, destroying the altar, re-establishing true worship to God, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him. And he blew his trumpet, and that was a sound of summoning people for war. He managed to summon 32,000 men. That's a lot. So things were really ramping up. And that's when fear and doubt entered Gideon. You see, war was imminent. And he, who's a farmer, is going to be leading thousands of men into battle. So you can understand why maybe some fear and doubt started to creep in. He needed some reassurance. So what he did was he went to God. And he asked for another sign. And you may know the story of where Gideon lays out the fleece. He says, Lord, I'm going to lay out this fleece and, and when I get up in the morning, I'll, I'll know that, you know, it's really you and you want me to do this if the fleece is wet but all the ground around it is dry. So that's what God does. 
because he's, he's a pretty patient God. And then Gideon's like, oh, I need another sign. This time do the opposite. Keep the fleece dry and the ground around it wet. So mercifully and patiently, God's working with Gideon here and he knows he needs the reassurance, so God provides another miracle. So finally, Gideon is ready to go. He's full of faith. He's ready for battle. He's got his 32,000 men. And then God says, it's too many men. If you guys go to battle with that many men, then the people are going to think they won in their own strength. They need to know, I am the Lord God. God wanted to do a miracle here. So he said, you need to uh, cut these men down a little bit, sift them down. So Gideon did. God God told him how to do it. And then God said, no, you need to do it more. So he sifts them all the way down to just 300 men against this massive Midianite army. Even 32,000 men was still going to be small compared to the size of this Midianite army. So Gideon... He's full of faith. He goes in to battle with his 300 men. And because God is with them, they win. It's a decisive victory. God sort of puts confusion and the Midianites are attacking and killing each other. And, and so it's, it's victory. The Israelite people are free. So after this, Gideon's kind of man about town. He's a bit of a popular guy. And people say, Gideon, we want you to be our king. And he says, no, God is your king. But you see, the people had taken quite the spoils and the riches from the Midianites when they beat them. So he said, I'll tell you what, I won't be your king, but you can give me a share of the spoils and the gold that you have taken. So they did this and then it seems, I think, Gideon started to live his life a little bit high on the hog. He got himself a lot of wives, he had a concubine on the side... He was really living like a rich guy and I think he thought of himself as a bit of a priest as well because he made this ephod out of gold. So an ephod is um, generally just this priest only, special garment for priests only. And he made one of those and the Bible says that became a snare for Gideon and his family. It became a snare because the people started to worship it instead of God. After that, things kind of didn't go well for his family. You can read all about that in chapter 9. One of his sons kills all his brothers. There was like 70 of them. It's quite confronting to read about. So things did go a little bit downhill because of, I think, Gideon's complacency. Now, he did bring 40 years of peace to the Israelite people he does go down in the hall of faith that you can read about in the book of Hebrews but he did compromise things did go downhill for his family but I think we need to remember not to be too tough on the guy it was a really dark time Matt called it the wild wild west of the bible like it was tough Gideon was not a perfect guy but God worked through him And despite how things might have ended for Gideon, his faithfulness and his obedience is not discounted and it's not forgotten. 
So I do encourage you to go in and, and read Gideon's story if you haven't. Chapters 6, 8, six 7, 8 and about his sons in chapter 9. I'm just going to pick one thing out of his story for us today because I think it is relevant. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at worshipping things other than God, altars, idols, other things in our lives. So we're told that Gideon's dad had erected this shrine to a false god. So the people were worshipping that instead of God. But they still cried out to him when times got really tough. God heard them and helped them. He wanted to rescue them, so he used Gideon. But first things had to be first. God wanted to re-establish proper worship. God didn't say to Gideon, go build me an altar, because if you read closely, he kind of did that privately earlier on in chapter 6. God doesn't say, build me an altar. He says, tear the altar to Baal down. Use that Asherah pole as wood to uh, burn up that sacrifice. The two could not coexist. If we read Matthew's gospel, it tells us you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. There can only be one. We need to make sure we worship God in our life. Now, if we look at the Old Testament, they had physical altars and things that they went and worshipped at. What we're talking about is probably a little bit more symbolic. You can read a little bit about that, I think, in the New Testament, where Jesus tells us not to worship false gods, and he talks about things like worshipping money, things of the world. So it's not like we're necessarily building shrines and altars in our homes. We can have idols in our lives. And it really comes down to your devotion. What are you devoting yourselves to? And because it's not a physical altar, it can be a little bit harder to spot, but it's just as real as that altar was to Baal. You see, in the New Testament, we're taught that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Today, God dwells in the church, which is the people. That's us. He dwells in us individually and collectively. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. We are fitly framed together to carry out the purposes of God as the church. He dwells with us. So it's our responsibility as Christians to recognise our individual relationship with God, his indwelling in us, and that it matters how we live our lives. It matters what we're devoting ourselves to, not just for us, but for the collective, for the church, because we're a part of it. But I think that what Christians can do, perhaps unwittingly, is they can build up altars and shrines, things they're devoting themselves to, and they might not even realise it. I think it's a bit like Gideon with his ephod. I think he had good intentions. But the ephod ended up taking the place of God. It was worshipped. Gideon got complacent. I think he's, he had this great active faith and it was replaced with complacency and comfort. 
I think Christians sometimes can struggle and wonder why am I not feeling close to God? It's like there's something in the way. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something else you're devoting yourself to in life. We can call it an idol. We can call it an altar. I think we need to ask ourselves the question directly. Am I devoting myself to anything else in my life apart from God? One way to tell is by having a look at the fruit in your life. I, um, I used to have what I guess I can call an altar or a devotion to something else in my life. I used to use alcohol in my life. At the time, I didn't think of it as like an altar or an idol, but I dedicated my time and my money and um, to, to alcohol. It was my comfort. It was the thing I looked forward to. My attention was on something else other than God. God was there, but this other thing overwhelmed that, overtook that. The Bible would call that being double-minded, I suppose. And I was really miserable. I was really miserable in that. So we can have altars in our lives that we hate as well as love. It was only when I surrendered to God completely and repented of my sin that he came in and he tore down that altar. He burnt it up, he smashed it to smithereens, nothing was left. I was set free. Just like we sang this morning, my heart, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. All that room that alcohol was taking up, God came in and filled. So we can have altars in our lives that take away our time, our money, our devotion from God. We can have it in anything. Jesus uses money, but he's pretty much meaning anything of the world. Some people will use sex. Some people are focusing on themselves, their identity or their self-righteousness. Some people will uh, get so busy that they don't want to think about things. They'll hide in being busy. People will hide in comforting themselves in alcohol or food or exercise. It can be really anything. It can be anything. It's whatever's taking the place that God should have. So we need to identify if we might have an idol in our life. And I think a simple way to do that is just to pray God's word. So we can pray a prayer like Psalm 139, I might have to get you to do the slides for me. Just back one. If we can go back to Psalm 139, there we go. So I think this is a good prayer that we can pray. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting so we need to be brave when we ask ourselves this question some of you might be sitting there and your heart might be burning within you because you know some of you might be thinking I'm a mature Christian I don't have any idols in my life well I think we still need to be <laughs> brave and ask ourselves the question and not let pride get in the way of stopping us to ask that question because remember Gideon <laughs> 
He got complacent after a great victory, after he was a mighty warrior, after he was a great man of faith. That's when we need to knuckle down even more. We need to pray more. We need to read the word more because the enemy probably is trying to trip us up. He might want to trick us to be complacent. Maybe we think we don't need God as much anymore because we've kind of made it. We never make it because his mercies are new every morning and our devotion to him should be to him every morning. So Gideon's life, I think, gives us just some practical steps that we can take. Firstly, to identify, do we have an idol in our life? And it might not be a big idol. Maybe there's just a bit of rubbish there that needs to go. So the first step that we can take is to speak with God first. Because that's what Gideon did. God was the one who identified it. That's where we need to get into our quiet place with God and we need to pray that prayer or you pray whatever prayer you want to pray. But ask God to search us, reveal, is there something there? Maybe we're just not aware of it. Perhaps we're sensing something's not right. Maybe we are a bit proud and we don't realise. Speak to God, ask him. That's the first thing we do. If he shows you something then the next thing you need to do is to take action. When we take action, you know what? It can feel scary. It can be hard. When I knew that alcohol was a problem in my life, it terrified me. I was just holding on to this false comfort. It can be scary. Gideon was scared. When he had to go in and tear down the altar to Baal, he was scared. But we go ahead and we do it anyway to be obedient to God, knowing that he has already said to us, like he said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So you go and you do it. You take the action. The third thing that we can do is to get help. Help is okay. When Gideon had to tear down that altar, he had ten people helping him. Help is okay. You can talk to trusted Christian friends. You can talk to your pastors. You can ask for prayer support. You can have people encourage you. So know that getting some help is okay. I'll just, I'll just talk really loud. <laughs> the fourth thing we can do is to don't give up. Don't give up. Look up and go to God. What did Gideon do when he had some success? He got all those 32,000 men. He was ready for battle and then he got afraid. He started to doubt. What did he do? He went to God. That's when he laid out to sleep. He went to God. It, you, you don't give up because the enemy doesn't want to let you go. He doesn't want you to get closer to God. It probably will be hard, but it's worth it. Gideon needed lots of reassurance. God was with him. He helped him, and he will help us too. The last thing is don't be complacent, and don't do that either. (laughs) 
became complacent, complacent after his great victory. After he was man about town, after he was full of faith, after he had seen God work, that's when he got complacent, that's when he created the ephod and they started to worship him. Let's be careful. Let's not be comfortable. Let's not be complacent. Because as I said before, when we do become the mighty warrior that God, thank you, created us to be is when we do need to knuckle down even more. In Exodus chapter 23 verse 30 says this, Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. It's an Old Testament statement and we're not possessing land. However, this verse is relevant for us today. God will drive out of us little by little the corruption, the false idols, the rubbish in our lives until our faith has increased enough for us to take full possession of the new life in Christ that is ours. They were taken possession of land. We have a new life that we must go in and possess. It is there for the taking. God knows the process that it's going to take for every individual. For me, with alcohol, it took about three and a half years. He knew what I had to learn. He knew what I had to forgive. He knew what I had to accept from him. Because he knew my story. He knows my life. He knows yours. So trust him in the process. So let us remember that God says to us as he did to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because in him, we are more than conquerors. The victory has already been won. So you just need to step out in faith into whatever battle is ahead of you. You just got to step out in obedience. God doesn't promise us easy. He's never promised it will be easy, but he promises that he will be with us. He takes hold of our hand. He helps us. He's with us. He takes care of us. So let us prayerfully ask for God to tear down any altars in our lives. And let's ensure that we worship our God only, that we seek him first. And I'll end with this statement from Joshua. He said to the people around him, you know, if you decide it's a bad thing to worship God, then you choose a God you want to worship and you do it today. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let that be a statement for Highfields Church of Christ. As for me and my house, this is our house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will search our hearts, go deep within us into the, the abyss of the depths of part of us that we might not even realise
is there. Reveal to us, has our heart set devotion to something else? And if so, Lord, I pray that you will show that to us, that we will be able to tear down that altar. And I pray that we will be devoted to you alone. And I pray that we will choose to serve the Lord in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our community. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.